Hey, we're so glad you decided to join us on YouTube. You're about to hear a message from our teaching team. We hope this message helps equip you for freedom and to find purpose in your everyday life. We stream our online services every Sunday. You can visit us at freedomhouse.cc live to connect with us and become part of our online campus. We know that you're gonna enjoy this message you're about to watch. Hello, Freedom House. So good to be here with you guys today. My name's Olin Carter. Uh, I'm the Director of Operations here at Freedom House Church. And uh, just tell you a little bit about me. I happily married my lovely wife, Tammy, sitting up here on the front row. Yeah. She deserves a much bigger hand than me at any, at any point, let me tell you. She puts up with me all the time. But um, it's so good to be here with you and be a part of our teaching team. If you're new here at Freedom House, something very unique about our church and our pastors is that unlike many people who operate out of insecurity, um, who try to make things all about them, our pastors are actually the opposite. They empower leaders around them, and I love that. And so we have a team of teachers. They give away their influence so that they can develop us as a church. Isn't that awesome? And so it, it makes room for all of us to grow, and I just love being a part of the team. I'm very humbled because I just think I'm the weak link sometimes, but <laughs> I think we just have an awesome team, and so it's just an honor to be a part of it. And uh, I'm really enjoying the series that we in. How many of you have been here for one of uh, the messages in this series so far, Camouflage? Anybody been here? Awesome. So you guys learning something? It has been an awesome series. We're talking about spiritual warfare. But before we get too deep, I want to take just a moment and I want to welcome the folks that are joining us online. We've got, you guys give them a hand. Uh, we've got people joining us in North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Maryland, New York, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, and in the nation of Columbia. So thank you very much. Whether you're joining us on our site or on Facebook, we're so glad you're with us today. So we're going to jump in this morning, camouflage. We're talking about spiritual warfare. And you know, I don't know about you, I am a big movie guy. I love movies. I'm sure some of you guys probably love movies too. Um, great form of entertainment. I love to watch a great movie. And you know what makes a movie really great? The thing that makes a movie really great is a really incredibly evil villain. Think for a second about some of your, I would say favorite, but right, you don't like them, yet you really hate them, but your favorite villains in the movies. For me, one of the ones that I hate the most is in the movie Braveheart. In the movie Braveheart, it's, it's a historical uh, movie about uh, this guy who was fighting for independence and the king, Edward I, they called him Longshanks because he would put up a banner of truce and he would have his enemies come and then he would ambush them and murder them, kill them, just no mercy at all. This guy would, would bribe his enemies to come to his side and then he would pit friends and family against each other and have them fight and kill each other. One time, there's a scene in the movie where they're doing battle and he tells his archers, he says, hey, fire into the battle. And one of his own men say, but, but sir, our men will be hit too. And he says, yeah, but so will theirs. I mean, he doesn't even care about his own guys. It's how evil this guy is. And my favorite part of that movie is near the end when his, his daughter-in-law, she gets down, he's on his deathbed, and he's really sick, he's really old at this point, he can't really talk, he can't do anything, he's kind of sitting there just gurgling, you know, he's under his covers, and he's just, you know, you know the end is coming. And she gets down in his ear and she says, hey, I just want to let you know, the heir to your throne, 
the baby in my belly is actually the child of your mortal enemy. And you see his face just, ugh, just twist with rage, you know, and I'm like, yeah, get him, you know, because you just hate this guy so much watching the evil things that he does um, in this movie. You know, as crazy as it sounds, you know, I think sometimes we hate the villains in the movies more than we hate the villain in our own life. I think sometimes we hate the bad guy in the story. We hate the, bad, the fictional bad guy in the movie more than we hate the enemy of our own soul. And you know, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning before we get into the scripture about that enemy because sometimes people don't think that that enemy's real. They don't think he's real. But let me tell you a little bit about our enemy. Our enemy delights in the suffering of people. When a little kid gets cancer, our enemy giggles with joy. That's our enemy. He thinks that's funny. He likes to destroy families and marriages. He likes to pitch you against people you love. He loves to mess with your mind and sow seeds of doubt that you're not good enough. That's our enemy. We have an enemy that's so evil, his end goal is to take every one of us to hell with him. That's the enemy that we fight against and that fights against us. I think the thing that, that bothers me the most about the enemy is that the one who I love the most, the one the Bible calls the Lamb of God, Jesus, who gave up all his authority in heaven, all his, the pleasures, the privilege of being in heaven, and comes down to earth as a man to stand in between me and what I had coming, Jesus that took your place, Jesus that took my place, the Lamb of God. Satan hates Jesus. How do you hate Jesus? But that's how evil the enemy is. He hates Jesus. And so, of course, I'm talking about Satan. I think many people today think Satan is a metaphor or a fairy tale. He's just something that, you know, it's just an allegory for evil. But let me tell you, Satan is very, very real. I used to work with a guy years ago, and uh, when I met this man, he wasn't a Christian, and he was going through a lot of marriage issues at the time. And me and my, my business partner at the time, we were both believers, and we just started ministering to this guy and loving on him, telling him about the Lord. And, and, and over time, he was very receptive to that and we were just praying for him, and, and, and one day I found out he actually went to church. And he said, well, I go to church. And I'm like, oh, well, that's great, man. And he went to some church up in Davidson, and, and I don't remember the name of it, but he said, but the pastor, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't like preach out of the Bible or anything. How does a pastor not preach out of the Bible? I said, what does he do? And he says, well, you know, he tells poems. He talks to us about better, being better people. And somewhere in our conversation, he, he got some trust that me and my partner kind of knew a little bit about what we were talking about in, in the Bible. And I happened to mention something about the devil. And when I said the devil, I'm telling you, his eyes got this big. He went, wait a minute, there's a devil? I mean, it freaked him out to think, that's real? I mean, because we're programmed from childhood in this country that the devil's this fairy tale. We think the devil's this Bugs Bunny devil. He's this little red guy running around with a pitchfork. And we have no idea the seriousness of the enemy we face. 
It blew him away. Most people, I believe, make the mistake in spiritual warfare of going to one extreme or another. Either we over-spiritualize everything, and there are churches that do this. Everything's the devil. If I get a flat tire, I got a flat tire devil. I lost my job, man. I got a, I got a job loss devil. No, you just didn't work very hard or show up on time and they fired you. Don't blame the devil. I heard a pastor say one time, sometimes we do such a good job of messing up our own life, the devil just sits back and takes notes. We can't blame the devil for everything. Everything ain't the devil. And the point of spiritual warfare is not to have you looking behind every bush, every tree for a demon. Everything ain't the devil. Sometimes it's us and the knuckle-headed decisions that we make for ourselves. We all know that, right? And the problem with over-spiritualizing life is that what we do when we do that is we abdicate the responsibility we have to make wise choices, know God's word, and do the right things. And so spiritual warfare is not about you are not responsible for you. But there's another extreme too. And the other extreme is we under-spiritualize life. Because sometimes you'll get in a pattern of things in your life that nothing makes sense, nothing adds up, and you know what? It is a spiritual attack. We have a real enemy, and some things are the devil. Some things are demonic. The truth is, and we're going we're to see this today very clearly, is that there are two worlds. There is a natural world, and there is a spiritual world. That spiritual world is very very real. Very, very real. And let me tell you, our enemy will use anything and everything he can to keep you away from your relationship with God. When I was a kid, I got in a lot of fights. I know it's hard to believe, as lovable as I am. But it's a big teddy bear. But when, when, when I was a kid, man, I used to mix it up all the time. I loved to get in fights. And I could not abide losing. The thought of losing a fight just was, I couldn't take it. So I would fight dirty. And if I had to gouge you in the eye with a stick or hit you in the head with a rock, I wasn't going to lose. My dad taught me when I was a kid, listen, son. He said, there's only one thing dirty in a fight. And that's for you to hurt me. Y'all will get that in a little bit. But for you to hurt me, that's dirty. Anything I got to do, that's fair game. Let me tell you something. We have an enemy that fights dirty. Don't think that you're going to make excuses and the enemy is going to take it easy on you. Well, I just came to the Lord. He doesn't care. Well, but my wife's sick. He doesn't care. Well, this is my child. Yeah, he thinks it's funny. He wants to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He will do anything he can to derail you from your walk with God. Don't think for one second that he plays by the rules. Sometimes people think, well, you know, we make these excuses for, you know, what's going on in our life. And we've got to understand we've got an enemy that's looking for the vulnerabilities. He will find anything and everything he can to get a foothold in your life and to bring destruction any way he can. He fights dirty. And so I want you to understand today something very important. You heard the phrase before, it takes two to tango. Now, I don't know what the tango is. I don't know how to do it, but 
I think it's some kind of dance. I don't dance much. But it takes two to tango, but let me tell you, it only takes one to fight. Because whether you want to engage in the fight or not, if someone is committing to hurting you, if their, if their mind is made up to doing damage to you, guess what? You're in a fight. You might not want to be in a fight, but you're in a fight. And the enemy is committed to fighting you. The Bible says he's our adversary. So we've got to understand that we have a responsibility to respond. There's a spiritual battle going on whether you realize it or not. And so what should we do? How should we respond to this? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about the topic of spiritual warfare. And today I want to take you through what's probably the most famous passage in the Bible about spiritual warfare. So we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to read through Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 10. We're going to read all the way through verse 18, but we're going to break it up a little bit because I want to unpack this for you today. But I want you to see the reality of the spiritual warfare and we're going to talk about the armor of God, the weapons that God gives us to fight. And so starting on in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, before we go on, I want to talk a little bit about that word finally. Finally, it's another way of saying in conclusion, Paul has just finished writing this book of Ephesians to the church there at Ephesus. So this is written to believers. And he says finally because he's wrapping up this book and it's important that we know what he's talking about. And so the first half of the book of Ephesians, he's talking about the gospel of grace. Paul starts telling us how awesome it is when we put our faith in Christ. He starts telling us, painting this picture of this wonderful gift that we have in God. It's got one of the most famous verses, one of the most popular verses in the entire New Testament. It says that we have been saved by grace. We've been saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's not of works. He starts painting this picture of our inheritance as a believer that, hey, once you put your faith in Christ, that now you're no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. Hey, now you've been made a son or a daughter of God. You've been seated in heavenly places with Christ. All spiritual blessings are now yours in Jesus. He starts breaking this down and he takes chapters to tell us how awesome this gift is in our life. But the second half of Ephesians, he starts telling us, hey, now that you've been saved, now that you've come to faith in Jesus, now that God has changed you from the inside out, made you this new creature, how should we then live? Now that I've received this gift from God because salvation is a gift, what should I do about it? How should I live? And so Paul goes down through these chapters and he talks about our marriage, how we should how we should live out our faith in our marriage, with our kids, at our work, in our church. And he gets here to Ephesians chapter 6. He starts to wrap up the book. And he wants us to know that, hey, after we understand this awesome miracle that God has done in our life, and then we understand how this is supposed to live out in our marriage, in our job, with our kids, he wraps up the chapter to say, finally, finally understand that now that you've received the gift and now that you're starting to live out of the gift, understand it's not going to be easy. Understand you're going to have an enemy that's going to come and he's going to oppose you. Understand that you're not going to be able to walk this thing out in your own flesh, in your own strength. You're not going to be able to live this life the way you lived the old life. 
Because in the old life, you did it by yourself. You figured it out up here. You walked it out by the strength of your might. But he's saying, hey, now that you're in this new life, you're going to have to be powered by a different power source. Now that you're in this new life, you're going to have to be strong in the Lord because the enemy's going to come and challenge you. He says in verse 11, put on the, what does it say? The whole armor of God. Not part of the armor, the whole armor, that you may be able to stand against the schemes, and that's where we get the word strategies. So he says, you've got to put on all the armor so that you can stand against the strategies, the schemes, notice it's plural, of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Listen, we're not fighting against a lightweight. When, when he describes it right there, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, what does he say? It's not a cartoon we're fighting against. It's not some idiot demon. It's not some, you know, you know just bouncing around, I don't know, I'm just going to tempt him today. That's not the enemy we fight. He's not a lightweight. He says, we fight against rulers. We fight against authorities. We fight against cosmic powers. Let me tell you something. The devil... In his kingdom, they are not divided. They are in unity, they have organization, they have intelligence, and they have strategies. And what's important here to understand is that they have strategies, plural. So Satan's going to come at you different ways every day. And that's why it's so important for you and I not to judge each other because you know what? You look at your brother who's struggling with something, some strategy of the enemy, and it's so easy for me to look at you and say, well, I could handle that. But that might be a strategy you've never faced before. Because the enemy's going to come against each one of us with a different kind of strategy. And so we have to be ready. And so it's important to know you cannot win spiritual battles with natural weapons. If we're in a spiritual fight, we've got to fight in the spirit. So there's two commands here, and I want to break this down this morning. And before I do that, I want you to understand, because I'm going to spend most of my time this morning not talking about the armor, because when you're in a battle, see, here's the problem most of the time in Christianity. Every time I've heard a message on the armor of God, the person spends an hour talking about each individual aspect of the armor. Let me tell you something. When you're in the military, the time that you learn all about how to take your gun apart and all your different, you know, that's in training. We're not in training. This isn't the time for you to sit here and admire how pretty your armor is. The point of this passage is not to break down and spend all day talking about the different pieces of your armor. The point of this message is the battle is now. The battle's here. The enemy's at the gate. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. So there's two commands here. First, be strong. Everybody say, be strong. Now, in the Greek, there's a tense here. The, the Greek language, the verbs, they had these tenses. It was a grammatical thing. And we know that when he says be strong, he's not saying actively be strong. Because you can't be strong. If I'm up here right now trying to lift 500 pounds and I can't lift it, and you come up and say, hey, Olin, be strong. <laughs> oh, okay. Great, thanks. That, that made it easier, right? I can't tell you to be strong. What this verb is saying is, Allow yourself to be strengthened. 
allow yourself continually to be strengthened with the power that's already in you. That's what that verb is actually saying to us. You see, we have to understand that the power of God is not something we can generate, but it is something we can turn off. See, the power of God lives inside of you, and it's an awesome thing, but you have to choose to walk in it. You can choose to live out your Christian life in your own power. You don't have to walk in the power of God. You don't have to allow the Spirit to empower you. Let's, let's read real quick in Romans chapter 8. And this is verse 11. It says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. We have no idea the power that lives in us. Jesus was dead. He was in the grave. And he got up. That's what Easter's all about, is that Jesus, fully God, but guess what? He was fully man too. A man just like me and you, he was dead and buried, and nobody did anything. He just got up. And that power is alive in you. The same power that made Jesus get up. The same power that raised Lazarus. The same power that Jesus could walk on water. The same power that opened deaf ears. The same power that could heal the blind. The same power that framed the universe. The same power that God uses to do everything is alive in you. We have an awesome power inside of us. He says right here, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You have awesome, unlimited, untapped energy and spiritual power inside of you. But we have to choose to walk in it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now to him, God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. God can do more than we can even imagine. How? With what power? According to the power that works in us. It's the power that's already inside of us. And so when he says be strong, he's saying allow that power to empower you every day of your life. When you go out to fight the enemy, understand that you can't do it by your power. You have to yield yourself to his power. And then understand and comprehend just for a moment. If you could even get a glimpse of how great that power is. Man. The second command is put on. Everybody say put on. And this is an action verb. This is in the tense of, hey, you, do this right now. This is an action. He says, we have to choose to put on right now to put on that full armor. And he also says, put on the full armor, meaning you can choose to only put on part of it. You don't have to put on the whole armor. The thought here is not the individual importance of each piece of the armor. He didn't say sit here and, and he didn't talk for hours and hours and hours about your shield and about your breastplate. The whole point of the scripture is, hey, get up. This is a general calling his troops to battle. Hey, guys, the enemy's coming. Get up. Get your gear on. we got to go fight. The enemy's here. We've got to be ready to do battle. 
And he says, so put on the whole armor. You see, I think the problem a lot of times as Christians and the reason we don't experience the victory that we want to walk in spiritually in our life is because we like to pick and choose the armor we're going to put on. See, I like faith, but eh, that righteousness stuff, I don't know about that. I've got my my breastplate on, I've got my belt on, but you go running out without your shoes because I'm not going to share the gospel with anybody today. I don't want to offend anybody. And so we're not prepared for the plural strategies of the devil because he's going to find and attack the places you didn't put your armor on. And so when you choose not to be 100% yielded to God, you're choosing to open yourself up in one area of your life to the enemy and to his strategies. We have to understand that. I heard a pastor say recently that you can understand Satan's different strategies through his names. I started to look that up, and you know, there's almost 30 different names or titles for Satan in the Bible. And when we start looking at those different names, we can see the different strategies he's going to use against us. Now, I don't have time to go through them all this morning, so I picked just a few that I wanted to talk about. Have you ever heard the name Lucifer? Lucifer actually means morning star or bringer of light. You see, when the enemy attacks us, the temptation's not going to be ugly and repulsive. When Satan comes against you in your life, he's going to make it attractive. Why do you think on every magazine cover, it's all about outward beauty? We tell our young ladies it's all about how you look. Because we're attracted to beauty. Satan's going to use that. Who do you think that comes from? Satan's going to use beauty. He's going to use something attractive to you. Whatever that thing is in you that draws you out. Because the Bible says we're tempted when we're drawn away by our own lusts and desires. So we all have these things inside of us that we're attracted to. Guess where the enemy's going to attack? He's not going to come at you in an area where you're strong. He's going to come at you in an area where you're weak. He's going to bring you something that looks so good. He tries to be equal with God. He's going to make you think, man, this is of the Lord. Man, this has to be from God. Look how good it is. What did he do with Adam and Eve? That's how he's going to tempt us. The second thing is devil. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that was the number one term used for him in the New Testament. The word devil means slanderer because he's always attacking your identity. After he comes and he brings you something attractive, what is he going to do? He's going to lure you away. And the moment you step foot across that line into sin, what's he going to whisper in your ear? You're no good. You see, you're not really a Christian. If you really had faith, you wouldn't have done that. You see, you don't believe. Why do you go to church anyway? It's just a waste of your time. You just keep falling for the same things. That's what the devil's going to do. He's going to tempt you. He's going to lure you with something attractive. And then the moment you step out, the moment you make the smallest mistake, he's going to be in your ear, being the devil, being the slanderer, telling you how awful you are. Because that's how he operates. Number three, adversary. When you begin obeying the Lord and moving forward, Satan will always come to oppose you. Now, some of you might be thinking today, man, I don't know that Satan's really opposed me in my life. Maybe you're not moving forward. If you're sitting still spiritually, he's got you where he wants you. 
But as soon as you begin to take ground for the kingdom of God, as soon as spiritually you start putting one foot in front of the other, let me promise you, Satan will come and he will attack. He will try to slow down or stop your progress in God. Now I want you to notice something. He's not God's adversary. He's your adversary. See, he opposes us. He can't oppose God. Sometimes we fall for the lie. Satan wants us to think he's the opposite or he's the enemy of God. God doesn't have an opposite. That fight wouldn't last long enough to, to register. He can't oppose God. He can't even be in the same room with God. And that's why we have to be strong in the power of his might. Because as soon as Satan wants to fight you, all you've got to do is step into Christ and he's defeated. When Jesus walks in the room, Satan's lost. He has to bow. So he's our adversary. The other one is tempter. He will attack you in your weak spots. And Peter, in 1 Peter, it says that he walks around the earth. He's searching like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And how do lions hunt? They're looking for something vulnerable. He's looking for that vulnerable place in your life. Remember, he fights dirty. He doesn't care if you had a bad week. He doesn't care if you just had a, a fight with your spouse. He doesn't care if you just found out that someone died or so your mom's got cancer or you're losing your job. We care. God cares. Satan doesn't care. He'll use that to bring you down. He doesn't fight fair, guys. He's evil. And so he's the tempter. He's going to use any weakness he can find personal to you, to, to derail you, and to bring you out of your walk with God. The last one is father of lies. He is deceitful and will try to get you to believe things that aren't true. Now listen, we've got a book for you out in Salt Resources, The Screw Tape Letters. And man, if you've never read this book, let me tell you, this is probably the single best book on spiritual warfare I have ever read. I've read through it probably three different times, and I'm reading back through it now. And it is an amazing book because it's this fictional story about two demons talking to each other about how to tempt us. And so the uncle demon is writing screw tape to the nephew demon, Wormwood, and he's giving him instructions on how to lay the traps. And so when you read this, it begins to open that up. And I want to read something to you out of this book. This is in chapter 6. It says, There's nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. He calls God the enemy. He wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. You see, the enemy wants to get you so focused on the circumstances in your life that you forget you can't control the circumstances. God wants to get you focused on what you do in the circumstance. The enemy wants you to get you focused on the circumstance itself. You see how tricky he is? He's the father of lies. He wants to divert our attention. So let's finish reading. This is Ephesians chapter 6, starting back in verse 13. It says, and listen, Paul says it twice. Therefore, take up the, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, 
and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I love that. Not just some of them, all of them. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit and with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. You see, this is the general calling us to battle. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So I want to take a few minutes today and I want to go through before we end the armor of God. But I want you to see today that the armor of God is very personal. It's not a checklist for you to get up in the morning and go, well, do I have my shield of faith? Check. Do I have my helmet of salvation? Check. That's not how the armor works. The armor is a metaphor for how we fight the enemy by being yielded to God. That's what it's about. And so these are areas of your life where you have to choose to be yielded and surrendered to the Holy Spirit. So let's go through them real quickly this morning. I want to talk about each part of the armor, and that's where we're going to close. It says, number one, the belt of truth. The belt of truth, I believe, is God-given revelation. It's not truth like two plus two is four because you can have that without God, right? I can know truth without God. This is a different kind of truth. This is spiritual truth that you can't know without God. It says in Matthew 16, verse 15 through 18, And he said to them, this is Jesus talking, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now many people will tell you that Peter means rock, and it does. But how many of you know that God didn't build his eternal church on one guy? He says, I'm building my church on this rock. The rock was the revelation that Jesus was the Christ. The rock was the personal revelation that God showed Peter the reality of who Jesus was. You see, the belt of truth is personal revelation from God. You can't have a foundation to your armor based on what I tell you to believe. You can't build a spiritual bat or a spiritual armor based on what you hear Pastor Troy say. Well, my grandma used to say, well, I watched on TV. Well, the pastor said, not going to get you there. At some point, the belt was the foundation of the armor because it was so heavy, it had to be secured, it had to be held up by that belt. Everything in your spiritual life, at some point or another, comes back to the foundation of God showing you something. Revelation comes from you spent time in God's Word, prayer, and repetition. That's it. You can read all the books you want, you can listen to all the sermons you want, And I hate to break this to you, but if you leave here today and you don't spend any personal time, you and God, you and God, no one else, you and God, you won't have revelation. You're not going to have revelation listening to a man. Now that doesn't mean God can't speak through a man. It doesn't mean you don't need church. We need each other. We help each other. But at some point, at some point, the foundation, the foundation's got to be me and Jesus. I love you, but you'll let me down. The anchor, 
the, the, the cornerstone, the, the foundation of my walk. When the enemy comes, when the storm comes, man, I'm going to reach out to my brother. I'm going to, man, I'm going to come to church. But you know what? In the midst of the storm, man, I got to have something that I know is stable. I got to have a rock that I know can't be moved. And sometimes in the middle of the storm when Satan's attacking everything you believe and everything you've ever thought to be true, you've got to go back and say, no, 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 because there was this time when Jesus showed me in the Word and I saw it and I felt it and I held it and I took it in and it's real. It's real to me. It's not, it was real to her, it was real to him and it sounded good to me. It was that God showed me and you're not taking it, devil, because it's mine. That's the foundation of our armor. Every day we've got to know that at some point it's me and God. It's me and God. That's where it starts. I can have you read a book today about basketball. Does that make you qualified to play in the NBA? But so many people spiritually, we want to read a book and then think we're spiritual. We want to hear a man and then think we're spiritual. We want to grow, but are we putting in the time to grow? We've got to spend time with God. Revelation happens only when you combine those things. It starts with you and God. The second part of the armor is the breastplate of righteousness. And the breastplate of righteousness is right. It's two things. It's right standing by faith and right doing by love. Right standing by faith and right doing by love. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having, sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. You see, you have to protect your heart. The breastplate was the front and the back. Why? Because you've got to protect your vital organs. And you protect your vital organs in the front when we act righteously motivated by love. But here's the thing. Even when I do good, motivated by love, Satan will come at my back because he'll try to convince me I'm doing it out of my own goodness. That's where I have to stand in the righteousness that comes by faith. I have to know that I'm motivated to love you. I'm motivated to do good out of love. But you know what? It's only because of what he already did for me. That's what protects our back. The next thing is the gospel shoes. The gospel shoes, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's simple. Sounds real spiritual. It's simple. That's your testimony. You need to be ready to share the gospel in season and out of season, the Bible says. It just means whenever someone, whenever there's an opportunity, you should be ready to share your faith. doesn't mean you need to be a Bible scholar. It means you need to know your own story. Because people can't argue with your story. Your story has power. Because remember, it's built on that revelation. Build on what Jesus did in your life. The, last, or the next thing is the shield of faith. Our personal faith in God. In 1 John it says, and this is chapter 5 verse 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Man, with the shield of faith, with that personal faith in God, you can quench every fiery dart that the enemy will throw against you. The last piece of defensive armor that I love is the helmet of salvation. Because sometimes, no matter how good your defense is, no matter how much you hold up the shield, a fiery dart might get through. A weapon might get through some of the other pieces of your armor, but guess what? When you've got the helmet on, even if it gets past your shield, he can't land a fatal blow. 
You see, the truth is when we go to battle, sometimes you're going to mess up. Sometimes you're going to make a mistake. Sometimes the enemy's going to land a blow on you. But when you have on the helmet of salvation, you can sit back and rejoice knowing that, you know what, I fell down, but I can get back up because my hope is in him. My hope is my salvation, and he can't take that away. Our helmet protects us against the fatal blow. And the last thing is the sword of the Spirit, which the, the Scripture tells us right there, what is, what is it? It's the Word of God. That's our offensive weapon, is the Word of God. And the way we use the Word is we have to put it in our mouth and we have to speak God's Word. That's how we do warfare. So what should we do? If we understand the seriousness of our enemy, if we understand that our enemy is evil, that he will fight dirty, that he will stop at nothing to derail me. Should we be afraid? Should we walk in fear against this cosmic force, against these demons, against these demonic forces in our life? Should we be afraid? No. We should take our enemy seriously, but we have to understand that God's given us everything we need for victory. Don't take him for granted. Don't underestimate your enemy but we don't have to walk in fear. God's given us everything we need. The second thing is we've got to put on the whole armor of God. We've got to be fully yielded to God. You don't get to pick and choose the parts of Christianity you like. We have to read the word of God and we have to say, you know what, God, I'm going to be yielded to you today. I'm going to walk in your righteousness. I'm going to take the shield of faith. I'm going to, sh I'm going to be ready to share my faith. I'm going, to, I'm going to walk in my salvation. I'm going to have the word in my mouth. When we make a choice to be yielded to God, we guard ourselves against the strategies of the enemy. Would you guys stand to your feet with me this morning? I want to share one more thing with you, and then we're going to close. It's just an interesting little fact about the Roman armor. The Roman armor was so heavy, and it had so many buckles and latches, and you, it was impossible to put on the Roman armor by yourself. They couldn't do it. You could not properly secure the Roman armor by yourself. So when the, when the general would call them to battle, hey, just like the scripture says, guys, the enemy's here. The enemy wants to attack you. Get up. Get ready for battle. The Roman soldiers would pair up and they would help each other fasten on their armor. And it's the same thing in the spirit. We're not called to judge each other. We're called to help each other. If I see you walking in pride, I just need to help you tighten up that breastplate a little bit. If I see you without your shield, hey, get behind my shield. We're supposed to help each other put on the full armor of God. We're not called to judge, we're called to help. Just like those Roman soldiers, we got to pair up and help each other be ready for the fight. Because the enemy's going to come. And we've got the same enemy. Now, if you would, bow your head for just a moment, close your eyes. I want to give an opportunity today. You know, our culture, our culture tells us that we're living for this thing, this American dream. It's like a nice life with all the good stuff. But the scripture shows us that this life is really more like a battlefield than a playground. The enemy is coming. He wants to destroy us. Satan doesn't fight fair. He'll use anything he can. But the truth is, that God paid the price for your sin. Not some of it, not part of it, all of it. And you can start living in spiritual victory today 
This armor I've been talking about, it's available to you right now. All you have to do is receive by faith. So if that's you today and you'd say, man, I want to walk in victory. I want to have that armor. I want to be ready. You've never received Jesus as your personal Savior. And you say, I want that gift. I want to receive it right now. If that's you, nobody's looking around. This is just between you and God. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? If you want to receive Jesus, I see that hand. Who else? Raise your hand right now. I see that hand. We're just going to pray with you. We're going to pray with you. Church, let's, let's join together and repeat this prayer after me. Say, Father God, I put my faith in you. I want the armor. I want to serve you. But I can't do it on my own. I believe you died. You rose again to make me new. I receive that now by faith. I will serve you all the days of my life. Thank you for making me new. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and join us for online services. If you'd like to learn more about Freedom House or how you can become part of our church, visit our website at freedomhouse.cc.